Good morning and welcome to the sixth video in our COVID-19 briefing series. Today we're going to be talking about athletics and how COVID-19 is impacting our student athletes, our athletics employees, and of course, all of our fans all the way around the world. I'm Robin Kaler, the Associate Chancellor for Public Affairs. I'll be your moderator today. Our panelists will be Chancellor Robert Jones, uh, Senior Associate Chancellor for Administration and Operations, Mike DiLorenzo, our Director of Athletics, Josh Whitman, and Randy Ballard, the Associate Director of Athletics for Sports Medicine. Before we get started, a couple of quick reminders. Our next briefing will be about human resources. That one will be Thursday, July 23rd at 1 p.m. In that one, we'll talk about many of the questions employees have about how we navigate the human resource issues created by the pandemic. In today's conversation, as well as that one, they'll uh, be at the same link that you're using today, and every briefing will be recorded, closed captioned, and posted on the covid19.illinois.edu website. As always, we will email you when the captioned version is posted. We'll start today's conversation with some opening comments by Chancellor Robert Jones, a brief presentation by Josh Whitman, and then we'll get right into the questions that members of the campus community have been asking. Chancellor, would you please offer some opening remarks? Thank you, Robin, and thank you all for joining us uh, for this week's briefing on athletics. And first, let me thank Josh and Randy and Mike for being here today as well. And as everyone knows, we've spent the past months as a university adjusting to the many, many unknowns that have come with this pandemic. And we're all aware of the unprecedented disruptions and I might say disappointments that COVID-19 has caused. But I truly believe that one of the most demoralizing of all of these was the sudden loss of virtually every aspect of our athletic competition, uh, competition, competition at the very level, uh, at every level in this in this country. I believe that might have been uh, one of the most uh, interesting and perhaps the tipping point that truly drove home the dire seriousness of the pandemic crisis and the scale and scope of the disruption that was going to bring some of the most treasured and I might say the most enjoyed events in our society to a, an end, uh, to an abrupt halt. It was certainly yet another hard blow uh, to our university community and to the morale of this community. We are first and foremost, as you all know, and always a place where learning and education and discovery or at the very core of our athletic mission, of our university mission. But there is also no doubt that athletics is an integral part of the experience and the personality of a Big Ten university like Illinois. And for so many of our students and our faculty and staff and friends, athletics provide the lasting and significant connection to this university and connections to one another. I think Josh will be the first person to tell you that we are fortunate to have the best fans in the world, the best student athletes who set the standards and the character for, uh, for a classy and outstanding academic and athletic programs. Their achievements are just absolutely amazing. So in many ways, the sudden cancellation of the athletic program was very uh, disappointing I think to all of us. But with every single one of these hard decisions that have been made, I am so proud to say that Josh, his coaches and the entire staff of DIA 
have further distinguished themselves by their integrity, their honesty, and their transparency. They have made sure that their actions are dictated by what is in the best interest in the health and the safety of our student athletes, our entire student body, our faculty and staff, and the broader community in which we live and work. I guarantee you there's no person on the planet who wants to be sitting in Memorial Stadium yelling ILL more than Josh Whitman. But I can tell you from personal experiences from these past months that he is also the last person who will let our programs resume if we cannot maximize the safety of everyone else who might be attend in attendance in our stadium. So we're going to continue to be guided by what the CDC and our local and state public health experts say. We will continue to work closely with our Big Ten peers and the NCAA but unfortunately, when it comes to college athletics this fall, there are just a lot of questions that cannot be answered completely at this juncture. But I certainly hope that today's discussion will give you some of the answers we have now and provide some insights into where we think things might be headed in the fall and beyond. I am I, and I certainly think that it will give you even more confidence that our athletic program is committed to doing what is best for our student athletes and our broader university community, including our fans and all of us who so very much want to come back together again. So with that, Robin, I'll turn the uh, podium or the program back over to you. Thank you all so much for taking time to participate today. Thank you, Robert. And before we move to questions, Josh, could you share your screen with us and give us a brief overview of what you've been doing and your plans for going forward? Well, good morning, everyone. I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us today. Uh, before I get started, I just want to say thanks to Chancellor Jones and so many other members of our campus administration. This uh, series of events, as you would imagine, has been incredibly difficult uh, across our society, but certainly here on a local level. Uh, for our university and uh, from our chancellor to our provost and, and on down the line. Uh, it's really been remarkable to watch our leader, leadership team at work. And, and I hope everybody feels good uh, about the direction uh, that the university is headed and, and the plans that we put together to, uh, to address uh, coming out of this pandemic. Uh, in terms of college athletics, uh, we'll, we'll talk through a number of different things today. Thought we would start with a few comments on the return of our student athletes to campus. Uh, obviously, the Big Ten made some updates uh, and announcements last week, and then we'll spend some time talking about uh, what game day could look like at Memorial Stadium this fall and, uh, and sharing some updates there as well. So starting with the student athletes, uh, I think it's important that we start with uh, that first line, which is that uh, the return of our student athletes has, has been and will continue to be purely voluntary. Uh, we've emphasized that to them in every communication that we have had, whether it be via email or any one of the, the many calls that we've had with them over the course of the last four months. Uh, we feel strongly that this is a time where they need to make decisions that are in their own best interest. Uh, and we've encouraged them to, to, to think critically about whether this is the right place for them to be. Uh, we feel strongly about the protocols that we've put together. Uh, we feel like uh, in terms of, of a healthy environment, 
here in Champaign-Urbana and, and more specifically in our facilities on our campus are about as healthy as they can find. Um, but uh, ultimately they, they have to make those choices for themselves and we've encouraged them to do so. Uh, we only have about 165 athletes back currently over the course of the summer. We've brought them back in a, in a phase process from five of our different sports. Uh, currently we have athletes here from football, men's and women's basketball, volleyball, and soccer. Uh, and they have been, I think, excited to be here. Uh, I really uh, give a, a shout out to Randy Ballard, who you'll hear from later. He and his team have done a fantastic job of developing uh, a very thoughtful protocol uh, around the return of our student athletes and their day-to-day -day work within our facilities. Uh, we are testing our student athletes and the staff who work with them regularly on a weekly basis. I think as of this morning, we've now conducted nearly 1,000 tests. Uh, feel good about uh, the, the work that we're doing there and the, the willingness of our student athletes and our staff to participate. Uh, the protocols are, are rigorous uh, and, and really have been become a model, I think, for for several schools across our state and, and even outside of our state. Uh, but beyond testing, certainly we have very careful procedures around how we use our facilities, how those facilities are cleaned and the kinds of workouts that our student athletes are, are undertaking in terms of the, the size of the groups that they can participate in, the people who are in those groups, the coaches who are, uh, are, are leading those groups, uh, how they enter the building, how they leave the building, how we handle laundry, locker rooms, all of those things are very scripted. Uh, and again, kudos to our student athletes for their great flexibility uh, as they've adopted to, to that new routine. Uh, as I mentioned, not, not only for this summer, but throughout the entire year, and we made this clear to our student athletes uh, many weeks ago that, that their decision to participate this year is voluntary and that their financial aid will be protected regardless of that choice. Uh, the Big Ten last week uh, announced that, that it would be making that same commitment across all 14 member schools. But uh, we, had, we had done that uh, several weeks prior and felt good uh, about making our student athletes comfortable uh, that they have a decision to make. And, and again, we feel confident in, in the procedures we have in place and the, the health of the environment that we've created here. Uh, but ultimately those are their calls to make. Last week, uh, the Big Ten did make some announcements that, that garnered some national attention. Uh, they announced that uh, after much deliberation, uh, the, the league would move towards a conference-only schedule for the fall sports, that is the sports that have a, a fall championship here at the University of Illinois, that, that's five sports. It's both of our cross-country programs, men's and women's, it's soccer, it's volleyball, and it's football. Uh, and uh, that, that decision really was driven by two primary thoughts. Uh, one is uh, control, and the second is flexibility. And uh, as you think about the control piece, uh, we wanted to be in a position to have uh, confidence in that, that, the, that there was standardized testing, um, that the protocols in place were being utilized by not only our student athletes and staff, but by every student athlete and every staff member who would be in the competitive venue against our student athletes. Uh, and so we want our students to feel confident when they step out to compete, that they know the people they're competing against have been through the same tests uh, on the same timeline with the same procedures uh, as they have been. Uh, and certainly we have the opportunity to do that uh, by controlling uh, and limiting only to conference competition. On the flexibility side, uh, as you would expect, uh, when you only have to deal with the 14 member schools within the Big Ten, we take com complete control of the calendar. Uh, we certainly hope 
that we'll be able to move through our seasons without any disruption, but we have to also prepare for that contingency. We understand that it's very possible there may be disruption uh, at one point or another during the season. And, and having complete control of the calendar allows us to make those decisions in real time, uh, whether it's to delay, to postpone, to cancel, to reschedule. Uh, we know that we have uh, every date available to us to, to move those competitions around as we need to uh, and, and, and ultimately provide for the, the most healthy environment that we can for, for our student athletes. Um, it's been a challenge, candidly, for people in leadership positions, I think, all across the country and certainly no exception in college athletics. Uh, we like to be in control. We like to make decisions. And, and one of the, the real challenges of this experience for me has been learning to live with uncertainty. And, and I think that has uh, never been more true here than, than in these last couple months. And that continues today. Uh, it, it's unusual, to say the least, to know that we're sitting here on July 16th. And we don't have a football schedule yet. We don't have a volleyball schedule yet. We don't have a soccer schedule yet. Uh, we just ask for you to continue to be patient with us. Uh, we have groups who are working very diligently on all of those things, uh, both the athletic directors, other uh, members of our senior staffs, along with uh, representatives from the conference office are, are working to develop those, those schedules. And we hope to get those out as soon as we can. Um, and, and again, uh, it's been really an interesting time. Cross country is a, a great example. There's a sport that traditionally has never had a Big Ten regular season schedule. Uh, they have, they've never done that in their, in their, their tradition. And so uh, we're doing something in cross country that we've never had to do before. Uh, and uh, hats off to our cross country coaches and student athletes for embracing that, uh, that change. In terms of the other sports, uh, we do have a number of sports, although they don't have championships in the fall. They do uh, begin some level of competition shortly after classes resume. Uh, and so we're certainly uh, aware of that and working to make those decisions as quickly as we can um, and, and looking to be consistent, I'm sure, in, in how we've handled things to date. So what is it actually going to look like uh, when people come into Memorial Stadium in the fall? And certainly we've been asked that question many times. We're starting to get, I think, a good handle uh, on, on what that game day experience will be. Um, and, and really, a lot of it will be driven by uh, the guidelines that have been issued by the governor's office, uh, the phase four guidelines that were uh, issued in late June. Uh, there actually is a set of guidelines that deals directly with spectator events, uh, and, and we intend to comply with those, with those guidelines. Uh, number one, as you'll see, is that uh, Capacity will be limited to 20% uh, of a venue's uh, overarching uh, number of seats. And so here at Memorial Stadium, we have around 60,000 seats. Uh, that'll be somewhere 10 to 12,000 people in our building. Uh, as you can see there on the, on the side of the slide, we've given you a, a little bit of a, of, a, of a preview what a manifest could look like. And, and hats off to our ticketing staff led by our Associate Athletic Director, Jason Hegemeyer. They put together endless models on, on how we might be able to seat the stadium uh, in a socially distanced environment. What you can see here is, I believe this is section 201, uh, but, but the green dots represent seats that would be filled uh, and the white dots represent seats that would not be. Uh, and you can see there that, that we'll have different configurations for different uh, numbers of people. Uh, if you wanna have four people in your party, you wanna have two, you wanna have eight, uh, we'll work with you to identify a location that allows you to, to have your, your party together, and then we'll create a uh, space between that party and the parties around you. Um, but it's, uh, so we'll be at 20% uh, 
uh, for outdoor spectator events in compliance with, uh, with the governor's guidelines. We have communicated about this uh, with uh, our current ticket holders. Uh, we had, of course, had tickets on sale to the public for uh, really since the bowl game and have had great um, participation from our fans. We're, we're very grateful for that. Uh, we've asked them to indicate whether they want to continue to be a part of this season or not. Uh, for those fans who aren't comfortable for one reason or another, we've given them a number of choices. Uh, they can they can defer uh, and push their uh, their ticket purchase into next year. Uh, they can convert their, their ticket purchase into a donation to our iFund, uh, or they can get a refund. Uh, and we'll continue to work with them. Certainly once we have a schedule, uh, we'll be going through a, an entire new round of communication with all of our fans, our ticket holders, our donors, uh, to discuss with, with a high degree of specificity the new schedule and, and what the process will be um, for, for reticketing the stadium under these guidelines. In terms of tailgating and parking, uh, another big question that, that uh, people have been asking, uh, also in the governor's guidelines, uh, it specifically calls out tailgating and, and says uh, very directly tailgating is not permitted. Um, that's something that we had been working on some different concepts, uh, but once the, the guidelines were issued, uh, obviously again, we're gonna comply with those. Uh, so there will be no tailgating at our football games this year. Um, we're uh, continuing to, to hope that, and, and I think this is important for, for folks to hear that throughout the course of the fall, I think there could be opportunities for some relaxing of, of these guidelines, but we have to earn it, right? We have to prove to the world that, that we're responsible and that we can be a community that, that demonstrates uh, that, that we can exist in a socially distant environment, that we can attend these, these larger events and, and mitigate against the spread of the virus. And so, um, you know, I think we should all accept that as a challenge, uh, that, that when we come to these events, we wear our masks, we, we, we keep ourselves separated, uh, we follow appropriate protocols. And if we do that, then hopefully once the students are back in town, once uh, our games are underway, uh, we can point to some evidence and, and go back to the governor's office and, and hopefully see some, some relaxing of, of some of these guidelines. Uh, but on the tailgating side, uh, Grange Grove obviously will be impacted by that. We're working through some, some various models uh, that uh, might be able to still provide for some level of entertainment in Grange Grove. Uh, again, trying to create a, a distance environment uh, within it. On the parking side, uh, because of the no tailgating, uh, as you would imagine, that has some implications on, on our parking plan. Uh, we will more closely align the opening and closing of, of the lots with the opening and closing of Memorial Stadium. Uh, without tailgating, the really uh, people should be parking and, and moving directly into the stadium. And so we'll be, uh, we'll be making modifications to the the open and close times for the parking lots accordingly. Uh, but I think people can expect, as you would imagine, that that will reduce the total number of, of hours that our parking lots will be, will be open during the season. Our staff, uh, as you would expect, is prepared to uh, rigorously, rigorous, rigorously clean the stadium uh, throughout the game, before the game, after the game. Uh, we'll have uh, a smaller crowd, again, uh, than, than what we're accustomed to, which will make uh, cleaning a little bit easier. Uh, but we'll have a certainly a, a high commitment to making sure that we're working through the building and, and keeping it as clean as we possibly can. Uh, we're also going to be uh, utilizing some of the, the latest and, and greatest in terms of, uh, of 
different amenities within the building, electrostatic machines will certainly have a number of first aid rooms scattered throughout the building and, and uh, increased number of sanitizing stations as well. We will be requiring masks in all public spaces in accordance with campus and, and state guidelines. Uh, so we'll expect people to wear masks as they enter the stadium uh, and as they move throughout the building. Uh, there will be ample signage throughout the stadium in the concourses and, and elsewhere, encouraging people to keep, uh, to keep their space and, and maintain distance from one another. Ingress, egress will be one of the big challenges. As you would imagine, uh, people want to get into the building uh, and generally people wait until the last minute to try and get into the building. And so one of the things that we'll be communicating to our, our ticket purchasers is to try and give yourself more time. Uh, anticipate that we'll be opening the stadium earlier uh, than we traditionally have to provide a, a bigger window for people to, to access the gates, to get through security. Uh, we will be uh, developing a, a more extensive queuing process uh, so that people, uh, again, have, um, have the opportunity to stay apart from one another as they, as they enter and, and leave the building. Food service concessions uh, is, is another big part, of course, of our game day experience. Uh, the, the state here as well has issued specific guidelines uh, relative to food service. The restaurant and bar guidelines were introduced as part of the phase four plan. Uh, we will be putting in place uh, plans to, to try and minimize standing in line, uh, to try and minimize personal interaction. We'll be going to a, a, a heavy grab and go uh, dynamic in, in our concession stands. Again, we'll be creating opportunities for extended queuing. Um, and we'll be looking for ways to try and minimize uh, that time the best we can. We'll have plexiglass barriers installed uh, at the counters uh, between you and the service staff. And again, we'll ask everybody to be wearing masks as they, uh, as they move out into the concourse to, uh, to get their food. Okay, uh, again, we're, uh, we're excited. We think this is a, uh, a positive step towards a return to, to sports this fall and uh, looking forward to, uh, to a few questions. Great, thank you, Josh. You covered a lot of ground in that presentation, so I, I apologize to you in advance because uh, I think some of our questions are gonna be redundant, but I know people are very interested and I wanna make sure nobody missed any information. So thank you for, for your patience in advance. Um, let's go through first and, and talk again about fall sports. What are the decisions that have been made about fall sports? What sports are they gonna be and kind of how they're gonna work? Well, to date, our, our plan is to is to engage in all of our fall sports. Uh, again, here at Illinois, we have five sports that participate in fall championships. It's men's, women's cross country, it's soccer, volleyball, and football. Uh, our plan is that all those sports will compete this fall. Um, it um, I, I think that every decision that has been made, starting with the conference-only model and uh, and some of the scheduling uh, items that will be forthcoming, all are being made with an eye toward putting us in the best position possible to have sports uh, with the understanding that uh, if circumstances dictate, uh, as Chancellor Jones said in his opening remarks, we certainly won't hesitate to, to pull the car over, if you will, uh, but, but we're hoping that we can keep the car driving down the road as, as long as possible and hopefully all the way through the end of the, end of the fall seasons. Great. Mike, um, can you talk a little bit about how we're following the Governor's Restore Illinois plan? Sure, Robin, thanks. Um, as you can see from Josh's presentation, we're following the guidelines very closely and any updates or changes to that we will implement and uh, 
We we're also continuing, as Robert indicated, following the CDC and IDPH guidelines. And we've been working very closely with our partners at CUPHD. They have been fantastic in helping us get through all this, not only in athletics, but for the campus. But ultimately, we have a science-based approach to maximize the safety of our student athletes, the staff, and of course, our fans. Great, thank you. Um, this one might be for Josh and Randy. Can you talk a little bit about your decision-making? How are you deciding things? How do you figure out what the best practices are? That sort of thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll refer to Randy on the best practices part, but in terms of, of the decision-making, it's really been a, a unique environment when you think about all the different layers, and, and Mike alluded to some of these that are involved in uh, these community health standards. We're working with standards that are set forward by the federal government, the state government, the local government. Uh, we're working with guidelines that are that are promulgated by the NCAA, the Big Ten, and certainly here at the University of Illinois. And so all those things are intersecting at different points, and, and we need to work collaboratively to try and find uh, the, 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 the threading the needle, as it, as it were. Uh, the Big Ten has been fantastic, and, and I really can't say enough good things about uh, my colleagues across the conference, our 14 athletic directors, the commissioner, and members of the Big Ten staff. Today was our 89th uh, conference call that we've had since March 13th. Uh, we meet every morning uh, for anywhere from an hour to three hours uh, and, and work through a number of different issues. And uh, it's really been encouraging for me to, to get to know my colleagues better and to understand that their values very much mirror the values that we have here at the University of Illinois. And, and so it's been a, a very collaborative process, but, but also a very fluid process. And Randy, did you want to add anything to that? Sure. You know, I think for those of us that have been in this community and on this campus for some time, it's easy to take for granted uh, how special a place this is. And so uh, all these decisions and all these plans that we've put together have not been made by DIA. These, these have been through tons of communication and collaboration with a host of our local partners on campus in this community. Uh, Mike talked about our public health department. I, I can't thank them enough. They've been outstanding. I talk to them almost every day. Uh, McKinley Health Center, Dr. Parker, Dr. Woodard, been phenomenal and great assistance. Our, our partners at Carl, our team physicians uh, have been amazing. And so in terms of the decisions we are making, these are all in coordination with campus and community partners. Uh, and then outside of that, we've been very blessed to have alumni and others that we've reached out to from uh, scientists with biomedical companies and consulting on testing protocols to a host of others. Um, and so uh, I've jokingly said we're willing to, to borrow and steal ideas from everyone. Um, and so uh, we've cast a lot of nets. Uh, we've looked to fellow Big Ten institutions. We looked to pro organizations. We've looked to the USOPC uh, and tried to gather best practices across all these places and, and put them into place that fits into our environment and our student athletes. Um, but ultimately, this is a shared decision-making process. Uh, and we're really grateful for the support that we've gotten from our community and our campus. That's great. I, and I think it's been clear that other schools are looking to see what you've done because you guys have created some really good best practices yourself. So kudos to you on that. So Josh, um, one more time, student athletes do not have to return to campus, correct? They don't. They don't. We, uh, we've reiterated that to, that to them every time we've had a chance to speak with them. We've had uh, weekly calls with them over the course of the last four months. We've communicated with them via email and certainly in a, in a variety of settings through team meetings and, and, and others. Uh, and, and we really want them to understand that this is one of those moments where, where they get to make a decision that's in their own best interest. We, we don't know uh, what's going on in their respective lives, whether they've had somebody who's been directly 
touched by the virus, whether they have a pre-existing condition uh, or if there's other factors that may encourage them to stay where they are. Uh, as I said earlier, we do feel strongly that we have a very healthy environment here. Uh, the Champaign-Urbana, as we've shown with our testing numbers, um, is, is one of the, the safer communities in the state, uh, that, that we have uh, very clean and, and thoughtful protocols in place for our facility use and, and our workouts. Um, but the reality is that a lot of them want to be here. You know, they've, they've been home for a long time. This participating in sports is such a huge part of their life, and they've, they've missed it the same way that we've missed watching them they've missed probably more so uh, participating. And so uh, as we've worked through the, the, the plans for return, uh, I will say that the biggest emotion that we have felt is probably disappointment that we only have five uh, teams back right now, that we only have about 30% of our student athletes on campus. And uh, I think that most of them would raise their hand quickly and say, hey, I'd, I'd like to be a part of that group. And we just didn't feel it was prudent uh, as we've continued to, to learn about the virus and get our protocols in place um, but we will uh, we'll be certainly welcoming them back in the fall. Great. And Randy, I, I think a lot of people are curious about how testing works, how, how, what that process looks like. And I know we've gotten lots of media queries. Can we come and watch? And of course, um, you know, there's a lot of health privacy issue uh, involved in that. So, so that's not really an option. But can you, at a, at a high level, can you kind of walk us through what, what that looks like? Absolutely. Essentially, as we look at our testing protocol, and again, this was put in place with coordination with McKinley Health Center and Carl and public health, we essentially have two testing pathways. And so the first testing pathway is the arrival of our student athletes to campus. And working with our partners, it became very clear that just doing a test on day one and letting them then start practice within a day or two after we got the results was, was not in the best interest of our student athletes or staff or our community. And so working with those partners and other experts, we put together a protocol in which a student athlete is tested and then quarantined uh, for 72 hours and then retested and we don't let them out of that, that quarantine until we get two negative test results. Also as part of that testing protocol, we, we also do an antibody test. Um, there is uh, still a lot to be learned about the antibodies uh, and I'm very grateful uh, for a host of people on this campus and in this community I've talked to about antibody testing. One of the concerns around COVID is its effect on the cardiovascular system. Um, and so knowing if someone's been exposed or possibly had COVID in the past was important for us to understand. And that's why we chose uh, to include antibody testing. Not all of our fellow Big Ten institutions are doing that, but we felt in terms of really just doing the best job we can to, to protect the health and well-being of our student athletes, it was important information to know. And so as part of that initial test, quarantine test, antibody test, process. We identify, one, if we have any active cases, uh, and if so, we, we address them. They're isolated immediately. We put a plan in place to, to take care of them and ensure that we are limiting the spread. Uh, and then in terms of the antibody test, if we have someone who, who has uh, antibodies, they follow up with our team physicians, uh, go through appointment, and identify if we need to do any further testing just to ensure their, their well-being as we return them back to sports. Uh, the other pathway is our weekly testing protocols. And so, again, these have been put in place. Uh, we collaborate with McKinley and Carl. Uh, all of our student athletes currently on campus are getting tested on a weekly basis with a, with a nasal swab, just like you uh, see at the Carl or uh, Marketplace Mall testing centers. Um, so they're swabbed once a week. We get those testing results and, and deal with anything that comes up. And so as we move forward, we'll continue this process, both in terms of how we bring student athletes back to campus, but also what we're doing on a weekly basis. Uh, we're also in constant conversation with our conference peers, as Josh alluded to, uh, as we move into this conference season, 
Uh, we expect there'll be some kind of standardized testing processes put in place. And so that frequency or type of testing may change or evolve over time. And eventually uh, we're also collaborating with our SHIELD group here on campus, which has been very tremendous uh, to us. Uh, a lot of just tremendous people and really bright people working on that project uh, that we have uh, collaborated with them. They've been a part of our testing process and we're hopeful here in August we can we can move over to their saliva testing and collaborate with them and continue to work together to do to provide the best environment that we can for our student athletes. Okay, it's time for the pun. You got to have the basketball team do it because you know it's a dribble test. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop now. Um, so Randy, one more thing. What happens? I mean, I, I know uh, with any size population, you're going to have a positive test. What do you what do you do to protect everybody else? You, you said a little bit about what happened uh, in that initial testing, but ongoing, how will that work? With any uh, positive test, be it in that in initial intake or even in those weekly tests, that person is isolated immediately. Uh, you know, often what happens is the lab calls uh, McKinley and myself and makes us aware. And that could be at 12 o'clock at night. Uh, that could be the middle of the day. And um, we make that call immediately to make sure that person is isolated and we're not risking spread. Uh, after that, we've worked with CU Public Health and McKinley Health Center. And we have a, a contact tracing protocol that we've put in place that they've vetted and are supportive of and have been really helpful in putting that together. Uh, we do contact tracing, identify contacts based on CDC and, and public health guidelines. We quarantine those contacts, uh, and then we, we um, as we isolate that young person into um, a room and make, make sure they have the bathroom, we fuel them, we fuel our contacts. And really, most importantly, uh, one thing that we have found, and I think we've all learned uh, through this uh, COVID situation, is just the toll on everybody's mental health. And I think most of us uh, realize what shelter in place or quarantining or getting stuck at home is like. And so our staff is checking in with those isolated and quarantine cases on a daily basis. Uh, our mental health staff's checking in with them. Uh, I think we lose sight of the mental health aspects uh, of COVID. And I think that's really hugely important as we continue to move forward that we're all looking out for our fellow campus and community and family members. Uh, should they be quarantined or should they have a positive that we're supporting each other uh, not just physically, but mentally as well. So Randy, you, uh, the, the, that mental aspect of it, does that play at all into the, the reasoning behind not releasing test results of individual athletes? Absolutely. I, you know, I think obviously outside of HIPAA and FERPA, which put a lot of constraints on what we do, uh, you know, that's one reason we haven't had anybody in through our testing. You can't take pictures of a patient getting a medical exam, for example, and, and put that in the newspaper on the internet. But for me, most importantly, you know, I, I, feel a tremendous responsibility for looking out for our young people's physical and mental health. And knowing that we all wanna know what's going on with athletes, be it pro or collegiate athletes. And um, I think it's really important that our young people know that uh, there's not someone out there that heard if we had a basketball positive that's gonna start contacting them on social media and saying, is it you or what's going on or who's positive or all these things. I think this is a difficult situation enough as it is uh, for all of us, but especially 18 to 22 year old young adults, uh, that we really try to kind of um, insulate them the best that we can and really look out for them and their well being uh, and their mental health. Great, thank you. And Josh, can you talk a little bit about the information that uh, you want to share again with, with the season ticket holders? Because I think it's really important that we make sure they are clear on what to expect this season. Absolutely. And, and again, we'll be looking at a 20% at a capacity in the building. Uh, we've developed a manifest for the stadium that allows for different groups uh, in terms of size 
to be placed in different spots. Uh, I think that with such a limited capacity, people should expect to be in a different seat uh, and certainly in a, in a seat that maybe wouldn't be as good as one that they would ordinarily expect to be in. So we may have folks who traditionally have been on the 35 or the 40 yard line who now may find themselves on the on the five yard line or even the goal line. And um, you know we, we're gonna ask for people to be understanding of that, uh, to be flexible with us. Uh, once we get the schedule, uh, then we'll go through another round of communication with our, our ticket holders, with our, with our fans. Uh, asking people to uh, to re-engage and, and to to go through a uh, a repurchasing process, um, making sure that uh, they they understand that uh, again it, it'll be it'll be different. Uh, but we feel good about and and I hope if nothing else that people will listen to today's comments and come out of it thinking, boy, they they put a lot of thought into trying to create an environment that that looks out for my health and for the health of my family, and so I can go to that stadium on Saturday. And, and feel good that I'm going to be able to sit, watch the game, enjoy it, uh, and and not have to, um, you know, be looking over my shoulder every 30 seconds to make sure that somebody's not, you know, breathing on me. And so I, I think that we've got to, we've got to. Uh, hopefully, people can 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 understand that putting on a football game in this environment is going to be hard. There are a lot of details to it. We've got a great staff, and and they've put a lot of thought into what this is going to look like, um, and we'll be communicating regularly once we get the final piece of information, which really is that schedule um, in terms of, uh, of, of what the different options are for our fans as they go forward. It really does sound like it's a great option for those of us who want to go to the games to really show what it means to be part of the Illinois family and to show how our pride can manifest itself in really stepping up and doing what you need us to do. I think that's exactly right. I, I think that our fans and, and Chancellor Jones hit on this in his opening comments, we've, we've got the best fans in the country. And when, when we ask, I'll give you a quick example. We did the, the orange and blue game at uh, one of our basketball games this winter. And we just put it out on social media and we asked people, hey, if you sit in this section, you wear an orange shirt. If you sit in this section, you wear a blue shirt. And everybody did it, right? Everybody showed up and they had the right colored shirts on. And and one of our staff members texted me during the game and he said, this is just amazing. He said, if you want to do this in the NBA, you'd have to give everybody the shirt. You know, you'd have to you'd have to put their shirt on their seat. And that's just how our fans are, you know, and they, they rise to the challenge. And I think this is another example where we're going to need to rise to the challenge. You know, we, we need people in the building. We want to we want to fill it up as you know, as it were. It'll be a different capacity than we're used to. Um, but we can still have a great environment. We can still have. You know, we're positioned to have a, a, a really good team as we head into this season. And uh, I think people will be excited to be in the building and be a part of what we think will be a pretty special year. And again, those season ticket holders, if they have a pre-existing condition or whatever reason, they're not able to participate this year, they're not going to be punished. They, they won't be punished. Yeah, absolutely. They, they'll have options. And if they've already paid for tickets for this year, as I mentioned, they can they can either defer that, that money to next year, or they can make a donation to the iPhone, or, or they can get a refund. Uh, and then I think importantly, uh, their, their spot, if you will, won't be uh, forfeited going into next year. We're anticipating in 2021, we'll be back to normal uh, and that, that everybody uh, will be back in their place in terms of their, their traditional seats, uh, their, their priority in terms of their, their right to purchase tickets. And so we're, we're approaching this as kind of a one-off year uh, again, asking people to be flexible and open-minded, and then we'll we'll get through this year and we'll get back to uh, back to the the full fun of everything uh, in the fall of 21.
Right. And I know, Josh, you know, we've seen you and Randy very involved in our campus level uh, committees that Chancellor Jones appointed and that Mike leads. Um, so we, we don't see on a day to day basis the coaches involvement. So I'm kind of curious, how are the coaches involved? And and it seems like it probably can't be the same outcome for every sport. Am I you know, how, how does all that work? Well, the same as we have great fans, we have unbelievable coaches. And, you know, we now have 17 head coaches on our staff, uh, about 50 assistant coaches, and, and they have been so incredible from the first day. And as you can imagine, the decision to halt the sports seasons in March was one of the hardest things that I've ever been through as an administrator and a very hard conversation to have with them and with our student athletes. And from, from that first day, they have been incredibly flexible, very open-minded. They have really stepped up in, in unanticipated ways, candidly. I mean, they have set aside every personal agenda, every uh, other motivation they might have, and, and really put the, the best interests of our community, of our students, uh, and, and of our, our athletic program at the forefront. And uh, it's really been inspirational for me to work with them. And, and so we've been in regular communication with them. We talk to them every week, if not, if not more frequently. And, uh, and they just continue to say, look, whatever we need to do, we're here to do it. Uh, and, uh, and they've been really uh, incredible and provided really helpful insight as we've worked through some of these issues. And, uh, and I look forward to continuing to work with them as we, as we refine some of these details going forward. So, so our, um, one of our best ambassadors for the university is Barry Hauser, Marching Illini. How are they gonna play a part in what happens this year? Yeah, well, there's really, there's our students and there's the band. And I think they're both obviously huge pieces of our game day experience. And uh, for our student body, uh, we'll continue to have the student section in the north end zone. Uh, there are traditionally about 5,000 seats there. And so if you do the math, you know, the, you take 20% down on that, it's, we're going to have about 1,000 people um, sitting in that north end zone. Again, socially distanced and spaced. Our, our students are encouraged to join Illini Pride. Uh, because what we'll be doing each week is that from the Illini Pride membership, we'll be um, having a lottery for those students, for those student seats. Uh, and so we won't be selling student season tickets. We'll be doing it game by game. Uh, but in order to access the lottery, you've got to be a member of Illini Pride. And so we're going to ask our students to, to be sure and do that. And then uh, the marching Illini is a huge piece, obviously, of, of our game day environment. Uh, we're, we're hopeful. We're keeping our fingers crossed that we'll be able to have them in, a, in a, a fairly traditional format, but we don't know that yet. Uh, we're working with uh, various public health departments trying to get a good handle in the governor's office uh, on what role our band can play. Can they be on the field? Can they be out there 350 or 400 strong uh, marching in formation? Do they need to just stand at a distanced environment and play? There are a lot of different ways that that, that could go and, and we're still working to, uh, to get into some of those answers. Does seem like a good opportunity to create some new traditions in the process. Things that might absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, uh, Mike, I'm going to switch over to you for just a minute. Uh, assuming in-person games are what happens, how do you enforce compliance with fans for maintaining guidelines like social distancing and wearing a face mask? How does how does all that work? Yeah, so we're obviously working on that across the campus, not only in athletics. Um, and you know, we have a great fans that we've already said, and we're hoping for self-compliance. If we don't have self-compliance, we're obviously, as we do with any game disruption, we'll um, you know, get with a fan and advise them and get on the guidelines and why they're there and, 
the importance of them and then escalate it as necessary. I mean, wearing the masks and social distancing is so important. The data shows what it can do to, to stem this uh, transmission. So we're going to be educating as many people as we can about that. Great. And Josh, you talked in your uh, presentation a little bit about away games. And I, you know, I don't know that I thought a whole lot about away games, but can you talk a little bit more about how, how you manage that? That seems, <laughs> that seems hard. Add that on the list. Yeah, it's, uh, it is hard. It is hard. Certainly travel is, uh, is one of the elements that is prevalent throughout college sports and, and trying to figure out a way to do that in the most health conscious way is, uh, has been a, uh, a focus here during the last several months. Uh, I think what you'll see as we work through the scheduling process is an effort from the conference to uh, minimize uh, air travel, uh, maybe to the point of even eliminating commercial air travel. We hope that you know, some of our teams do charter to games and, and those teams would probably be expected to continue to do that. But for those teams that traditionally fly commercial, I think we'll be looking at some, some scheduling opportunities to try and uh, maximize chances for them to bus uh, so that they can stay uh, out of the air, out of the airports and, and out of the airplanes uh, as much as possible. Um, we'll continue to test, uh, as you heard from Randy, uh, you know, we're testing all of our athletes weekly right now. Once we get into the competitive season, then I, I think it's possible and even likely that for many of our sports, that testing could increase to twice a week. I think we, we would see a test in advance of a competition and then a test post-competition. Uh, again, depending on the nature of the sport and, um, and, and the, the schedule. Um, but we'll, we'll also be limiting the group that, that hits the road. Uh, you know, our travel parties will, will be much smaller than we traditionally would see uh, in all of our sports. Uh, football, for example, uh, you know, we will be taking a very careful look at the plane manifest and the people who ordinarily would be on those trips, I think will be reduced fairly substantially. Uh, and so it'll be a, uh, an ongoing effort, but I think through thoughtful scheduling um, and, and through uh, some, some foresight and planning on our part that we should be able to get to a place where we feel really good about, uh, about taking the teams on the road. Great. Sounds good. And Robert, I mean, we all know uh, that we're hoping that all of the things that we've been discussing will come to pass. If for whatever reason, we find that we have to, to move back and kind of lock down a little bit more. Talk a little bit about the impact of not having those fall athletics. Oh, I think you're, you're still muted, sir. Oh, are you able to unmute? Robert. Had a there bit of difficulty. Yeah, I apologize. Uh, yeah, since I said earlier, you know, uh, this uh, has been a very difficult period for us all. And clearly, our athletic programs have been uh, one of the biggest uh, sources of disruption. It is going to be very, very disappointing uh, to our student athletes who, in part, are here to compete. Uh, as well as for our fans who have been so very, very supportive uh, to our athletic programs over the years. But as I've said, and Josh has repeated uh, many, many times during this dialogue that we have some of the best student athletes, but we also have some of the best fans in the world. And I think they will understand fundamentally that our first and primary goal is the health and safety of every member of our university community. 
And uh, by not uh, having uh, our athletics program to play out in the way that they traditionally do is a way that they can assist us in carrying out that primary responsibility of uh, keeping everyone at this university safe. There's no doubt that the financial impact of COVID-19 is already being felt by our athletic program. And if there's not going to be athletics in the fall, that financial impact will be even greater. But it's not the first time this university has had to manage a financial crisis. So if that is the worst case scenario, I have absolute confidence in Josh Whitman, the coaches, the administrative staff within DIA, that they will manage this issue to the best of their ability. So I, I can't say enough how much confidence I have in our athletic program under Josh's leadership. I also would be remiss if I didn't say how, and Josh alluded to this as well, it's been absolutely amazing to see how uh, the Big Ten uh, as an athletic conference, uh, the commissioner who I've had the great pleasure of knowing for almost 10 to 15 years now, that dynamic leadership that's been brought to bear how the 14 presidents slash chancellors are working together as well as the athletic directors and all of the coaching staff gives me great confidence that even though there will be disappointments, even though there will be significant financial implications, we will get through this. And I think we will be a, a stronger conference and a stronger program on the other side of COVID-19. Great, thank you very much. So Josh, uh, you know, with, with fall sports, they're, uh, most of them are a little more outdoor. What, what happens with things like, I guess volleyball is kind of a fall sport too, though. Volleyball, men's and women's basketball, how, how does all that work? What, what are the plans right now? And I know everything is very fluid. It is fluid and, and we are working on those plans as we speak at the conference level. Um, but, but the guidelines issued by the governor's office as of today uh, prohibit fans at indoor events. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about football, but as we all know, volleyball here at the University of Illinois is a, is a really big deal. And our, we've got a tremendous tradition, uh, a great passionate fan base who, who comes out to Huff Hall every week to watch them play. Uh, and so as things stand now, uh, there won't be any spectators at, at, at indoor volleyball. Uh, and I think as it, certainly that would be the expectation for basketball as we sit here today. Uh, and I think I would go back to what I said earlier, which is, you know, we, we as a community need to earn our way out of that. You know, we need to continue to do the right things. Uh, I'm sure that the state is, is looking anxiously to, to watch as 50,000 students come back into our community and, uh, and they're waiting to see how uh, our fans and others react in, in Memorial Stadium for a football game this fall. And if, if we can demonstrate that, we can act responsibly, that we're going to wear masks, that we're going to keep our distance, we're going to use hand sanitizer, we're going to do all the right things, uh, and we can keep our, our positivity rates low, we can, we can mitigate against the spread, then I, I, I have to believe that there will be an opportunity to go back to the governor's office and, and ask for some reconsideration or some loosening of those guidelines, but, but we've got to earn it. And so we've, uh, as we sit here today, uh, we've, we've got some more room to, to, to work on, on the indoor sports. Um, but we're certainly keeping our fingers crossed that as we move forward, we'll be in a position to uh, to welcome at least some number of fans into the buildings, uh, both for volleyball and for basketball. Great. So so they say a necessity is the mother of invention. And um, 
we've all learned lots of things about how to move things to, you know, online and from in-person and that sort of thing. What things have you learned uh, in the Division of Intercollegiate Athletics world that might be things that you will continue to do in a post-COVID situation? I think the, the biggest things for me, and I don't, I don't know if it's so much specific things that we will continue to do, it's just been really heartening to be connected to such an incredible group of colleagues, of students. Uh, I've been so impressed with, with each and every person throughout this entire experience. Uh, they've stepped forward in unbelievable ways time and again. Uh, as you said, you know, necessity uh, breeds creativity. And, and we've shown a lot of creativity here over these last couple of months. We've had to. And uh, every time we come to a closed door, somebody figures out a way to, to open a window. And, and that's really been uh, inspiring to watch our staff come together and to, to, to really tap into the creative side of their mind. And um, it's, it's, that, that part has been incredibly meaningful. And then I think the other thing is just Absence makes the heart grow fonder. And then we've all been apart, uh, whether it's absence from, from sports, whether it's absence from our colleagues and our friends, uh, whether it's absence from our students. Um, you know, it, it really has helped me. And I, I think many of us uh, recognize the role that, that sports plays in society and, and specifically that fighting Illini sports plays in all of our lives and uh, the chance for us to come back together, uh, to be with the people we care about and to watch our teams go out and compete. Uh, on behalf of this university, I think is something that I know all of us are very much looking forward to. And, and, and we're going to continue to do everything we can to, uh, to put our student athletes in a position to do exactly that and to do it in a healthy way. Right. And I um, only have time for one more question, Josh. Uh, the, the theme of this has kind of been earn it and safety. I just want to give you one more chance to make that plug. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, you know, it really is critical. I, I, I saw there was an interview the other day with the head of the CDC, and he said, if we could just get everybody to wear masks, we could get this thing under control in a matter of weeks. He said it would save tens of thousands of lives by October. And it seems like such a simple thing. You know, I, I think that it, it's frustrating because we've been in this for months, right? You look around the world and I work out pretty early in the morning. I turn on the TV and they're playing baseball in Korea. You know, they're, they're playing uh, they're playing soccer in England. And, and here we are spinning our wheels, you know, and I, I think we've got to make a, a decision that we're going to do what's necessary to nip this thing in the bud. And, uh, and if we can do that and, and, and we have to understand it's about all of us, it's not just about our own health. It's about the health of, the, of our neighbors and our community members. If we do the right things, if we stay distant, if we make good decisions about how much we circulate, if we wear masks, if we wash our hands, then we've got a chance. You know, then we've got a chance to to really enjoy the things that we get back to doing the things that we enjoy so much. And certainly for me, and I think many of the other folks on the call, that's enjoying Illinois sports. And uh, and so I hope people will take that message to heart. I know that uh, it's certainly the same message that we're conveying to our student athletes, to our staff, and and hopefully our fans can embrace that also. So one quick personal question: Has a benefit been that you get to spend a little bit of time with your with your small ones? It has been absolutely. So our, our son Will turns two uh, next weekend, and our daughter Tate will turn four in September. And as you might imagine, in my role, I do a lot of traveling, and so it's hard to imagine another environment where that would just come to a complete halt the way that this has. And so it's uh, it's been a lot of fun to to be around them at this point in their lives. And the irony of it is that. You know, this four months in terms of my time with them is something that I'll never forget. And 
unfortunately, they're young enough that they'll never remember it. Uh, but that's uh, that's okay. We'll we'll still tell them the stories once they get older. Yeah, there'll be video. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Josh and Randy. Uh, Chancellor Jones, would you have any final remarks for us? Yes, just very briefly. Let me just simply say uh, thanks to everyone that has joined us today and certainly thank uh, the DIA team and Mike DiLorenzo and Robin for the amazing job that you uh, do in moderating these uh, virtual conversations. I hope, uh, hopefully what you have garnered from this uh, presentation as well as others that we've uh, structured as a part of this briefing series. Our goal is to provide the opportunity to be very transparent, uh, transparent and very candid with you about all the thoughtful detail that is going into number one with this university managing this crisis to the best of its ability and managing it first and foremost with the health and safety of our student athletes, our students, and our faculty and staff in the broader community in which we live as work and work. That is a core value for us. And so we are very, very uh, uh, appreciative of that. And thank you for the opportunity to have a dialogue and conversation uh, with you. Uh, with that, thank you all. We look forward to seeing you at the next one. Thank you, Chancellor Jones. I want to thank again Robert Jones, Mike DiLorenzo, Josh Whitman, and Randy Ballard. Also, thank you to Allison Vance, August Chess, Katie Watson, Leah Peck, Brian Mertz, and Chris Harris in Public Affairs, Brian Boyle and Scott Van Wingerden in Technology Services, and Bobby Buzzboom, Kent Brown, Cassie Arner, and Diana Fertilla in Athletics for helping us make this happen. Our next briefing in the series will be Thursday, July 23rd at 1 p.m. The focus will be on human resources. Again, same link that you use today. And again, all of the briefings will be recorded and captioned and posted to covid19.illinois.edu website. Uh, so please go there for all of your uh, Illinois COVID information. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much for watching.